Hello and welcome to another episode of Die Hards and Glory Hunters. I'm George Brown and we've got a very special episode for you um, this time because for the first time we're going to have not just one fan on the show but two. Um, so that's going to be a, an extra feature for this week. Um, but before we get into that, of course, we're going to start with the scouting report. And this week's player is possibly, is definitely not as obscure as last week with um, Christoph Baumgartner. And again, similar to Alfonso Davies, he's probably one of the most exciting talents in Europe right now. And that is Kai Havertz of Bayer Leverkusen. And um, he is really sought after by some of the big Premier League teams. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if he made a move to a bigger club in the coming years. Um, and to be fair, having done some research into what the, you know, what the, all the fuss is about, um, it really does. He really does stack up against um, some really incredible players. And some, the statistics really do prove that. Um, he's the, the fastest Bundesliga player to ever reach um, 30 goals so the youngest player sorry to reach 30 goals and equally the youngest player to reach 100 appearances and you think of some of the talents that have come through that league in previous years that really is an incredible achievement and there's a quote from Rudy Boller obviously ex-German um, international player uh, who I think now works behind the scenes at, at Bayer Leverkusen who said that he's got the skill and the running grace of Ozil but the finishing and the temperament of Michael Ballack. So that's that's a hell of a compliment. But having seen a bit of him myself, I would sort of describe his playing style as similar. And this is possibly doing him a <laughs> not helping him in any way because it's building him up. But he reminds me a bit of a young Zidane um, because he's very, very tall and very, very strong on the ball, despite his sort of slender frame. Um, and he's actually scored quite a few headers as well. And Zidane was obviously notoriously good in the air, scored twice in a World Cup final through headers. So, yeah, I mean, Havertz is already attracting attention, but I do think from what I've seen, he is definitely, definitely worth the hype. OK, so now the scouting report's done, we can welcome our two fans um, to the podcast. And I will um, reveal the team that we're going to be talking about this week is a team uh, pretty close to my heart as well. Um, we've got some family links to the club, and that is West Ham United. And first of all, I'm going to welcome uh, Nick Brown. How are you Hello, doing, George. Nick? Good, thank you. And also James Wilson. How are you doing, James? Hi, George. I'm good, thanks, mate. And so the reason that we've got um, both Nick and James on today is obviously they share a love of West Ham. Um, but I would say <laughs> with no disrespect at all intended to Nick, possibly come from different generations possibly. would that possibly. be fair <laughs> <laughs> um so in fact we'll start with you nick and when was uh, the time you first first started supporting west ham and and if you can remember what was the reason well i guess the reason was because i lived about three miles from the ground um but it was at a time in my life when my uh, my my parents were separated and when I used to meet my dad at the weekend, he used to take me to football and in fairness to him, he used to take me to a, a variety of places. Uh, we would go and watch Crystal Palace and West Ham and Arsenal and many of the London clubs and many of the lower division teams like Orient. But um, okay. yeah, um, for reasons I can't 
quite explain. Um, my my heart lied at Upton Park and, and with West Ham United. And I guess okay. We're, I guess we're, um, guess and and can you about something like 1973, 74 as, as a start? Right. Yeah, I wondered what was the you know the 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 year and the and the first time. So 1973, 74. Okay. So James, same question. Um, when, where, why and when did you support West Ham? Yeah, well, for me, it's always been, uh, you know, running the family. You know, West Ham has we've all been sort of diehard West Ham fans. Um, you know, my mum and even my granddad uh, supported them for the last 40, 50 years. <clears throat> and my mum's definitely been to most home games for, for almost the duration of that period, really. And my earliest memory of West Ham is uh, playing in the championship uh, in about 2003, 2004 era. Um, I think Bobby Zamora was there. And um, that was one of my earliest matches. And, you know, again, it's just because we, it's my local team. Uh, it's where my, you know, family ties are. Um, and I've fallen in love with the club. Um, and that's where my allegiances lie, really. Uh, okay, great. So sort of, I guess, similar-ish reasons in that you both started out, well, you both live relatively near to where the ground were. Um, and to be honest, I think even though obviously we're talking about um, different times, I guess you may both agree on the fact that West Ham aren't exactly in a great position right now. And I, I I'm interested to know your thoughts on the move, the big move from Upton Park to the London Stadium. So, uh, James, do you want to start on that one? What do you think? Yeah, well, from, from the offset, you know, I'm, I'm clearly a, a younger generation of, of fans. Um, who sort of grown up with the move to the London Stadium. And I've been a season ticket holder for 10 plus years. Um, and I've been to many more games at Upton Park than I have ever been to the London Stadium. And mm -hmm. the move in 2016 really did cause controversy because especially, you know, in the diehard fan base, because um, it just sort of ripped the heart and soul out of West Ham United and all that it stood for, really. You know, Upton Park was the home of of West Ham, not just for the football, but for all the local businesses and pubs nearby it, where, you know, my family would frequent before and after a game. Um, mm -hmm. And sort of support the East End way of living, really, which has sort of been ripped out uh, of the local area now and moved into Stratford, which just isn't the same. And, and if there's one major thing that I personally don't like about the London Stadium and match days is just the atmosphere, the general lack of it. You know, you, you get off at Stratford Station, you have a 30-minute, 25-minute walk to the actual ground itself before being searched and queuing up for that, if, if, even worth it if it's pouring down and rain and, you know, you're going to play Man City and you're sort of, oh, great, this is, this is going to be fun. And even then, <laughs> you know, they sort of roll out the, the, the bubble song before kickoff, but no one really seems to be all that interested you know i remember days of, at bowling ground where the place would be absolutely rocking you know teams like man united and back in their heyday you know 10 10 years ago they'd be frightened to play us because they knew that the bowling ground was a fortress that was difficult to play against you know you'd always be, mm -hmm. be put up with a fight no matter what the team whereas now it's just sort of flat cluster and you know i think with, with these somewhat relatively new owners i think they've been there for 10 years now but with these new owners it's become much more a business than 
uh, West Ham has ever been. It's not a, you know, a local club anymore. They've, they've, you know, elevated the club. But for me, it's not the right move, and it's probably controversial because, as I said, I'm a younger fan. But I'd, I'd much rather uh, watch West Ham play in League Two at the Upton Park than watch them play in that lifeless, soulless bowl at the London Stadium. Uh, I don't know if Nick agrees, but. Um, that's my only yeah, where do you where do you stand uh, on that? In Nick? about the same place. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I think one of the things that we'll discover as we go through this is that I'm quite nostalgic about football, um, and I think in many regards, football has been spoiled by money and the need to drive up revenue, and that's really what that move mm-hmm. is all about. Um, I believe that the best football stadiums are the shape of football pitches, i.e. they have four square sides around the pitch uh, and, and you build mm-hmm. them as tight to the pitch as you can and as high as possible and uh, that's how you create atmosphere and um, you know, we've gone to play football in an athletic stadium for, for purely for reasons of money and we've given away a big advantage um, to the opposition in that regard as James alluded to and it's a, it's a real shame for me. OK, and sort of staying on that, because I think I think both of you are probably speaking for the majority of West Ham fans um, because the move has not been particularly well received. Um, but I wondered and it's interesting what James said about you'd rather play at Upton Park in League Two, because sort of the promise that the owners sort of sold the stadium uh, idea to the fans with was that it would bring more success on the pitch and obviously that has not been the case um, and I just wondered do you think that that's played a role or is it actually irrelevant how well the club are doing um, it's about the atmosphere and, and the uniqueness of Upton Park well I think the problem was they sold they sold the promise to West Ham fans in that you give up your beloved ground in exchange for world-class football in a world-class venue and they just haven't delivered yeah. on either count, I'm afraid. It's mediocre football mm-hmm. at best. We've not finished higher than, I don't think, 10th. I could be wrong. Uh, it's in the last four years. Um, and even then, it's, as I said, the, the whole acoustics of the stadium, it's not a football ground. Um, you know, Nick's right in saying it's an athletic stadium. And it's just not right for the Premier League as a Premier League venue, let alone to play football in for West Ham United. Yeah, I think the board have, um, have, have promised something in the way that modern politicians promise things that they probably feel they have to say in order to get get something done or get a decision made without, without probably mm-hmm. ever in their hearts believing that what they were saying was true. OK, OK. Um, and if we focus specifically on this season... Um, Obviously, it's not been that inspiring. Um, first of all, are you glad to have seen Pellegrini go? And uh, follow up, is Moyes the right person to, I think, be fair to say, to keep you in the Premier League, which is surely the goal at this moment in time? James, what do you think about that? Um, well, I think Pellegrini was there far too long, in my opinion. He should have been sacked mm-hmm. you know, eight weeks before he actually was eventually given his marching orders. I think the, the the only reason he was kept there was because of Fabianski, to be honest. Him playing, his, you know, the outstanding start to the season that he had kept Pellegrini in that job because 
as soon as he got injured around, I can't remember when, but fairly mid, mid to early season, um, and we had to bring in Roberto, uh, the Spanish goalkeeper, yes. who <laughs> rather thankfully went on loan as soon as possible in January. Um, as soon as he started playing for us, the results just didn't come and he eventually was sacked, which was the right decision. Um, in my opinion, I don't think Moyes should have been sacked in the first place two years ago. I think he should have been given the chance and the the, the owners took a gamble with Pellegrini. They they spent a lot of money in the last uh, last summer, in, oh, last two yeah. years even, uh, on players like Felipe Anderson, Pablo Fornells, Roberto, who were all brought in by Pellegrini's staff. And they took a gamble on them by paying an excess of 20, 30, 40 million for them. Haller, again, mm-hmm. being a, perhaps a misfire. Yeah. Um, and I just don't think it worked out for them. And it's completely backfired. And they've now resorted to, OK, let's just stay in the Prem, get some assurances, uh, sort of what West Ham always resort back to at the end of the day, um, bringing in Moyes again, which is, again, I guess the right decision at the time to keep us in the Prem. But in terms of going forward as a club and progressing in the Premier League now, I we just have to we just have to see how this transfer window goes in the summer and who we bring in. Okay, and Nick? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, whether it's players or whether it's managers, the answer to everything nowadays seems to be change, and nobody tends to stay mm-hmm. anywhere terribly long. I mean. I just jotted a few names down, Pellegrini, Bilic, Pardew. I mean, all of these guys had very some very successful times at the club and showed lots of promise mm-hmm. and, and did a lot of good things. But it just seems inevitable now that whenever the bad period sets in, um, it's, it's almost like the cry for people to go exacerbates that. And... Every, everyone yeah. is so in fear of relegation and you know they go from being a wonderful manager to a terrible manager and you know people cry out for change and you know village is doing a very very good job at, at west brom and you know yeah it was probably very difficult for him to stay but if if the world of football you know were generally more patient and supportive he might you know, it might have been a short dip and it might not have gone on to be, you know, whatever it was, 10, 12, 14 awful games where, you know, the whole thing just gets to everybody and it, and it's seemingly impossible to win and the change is inevitable. As far as the Moist thing is concerned, I mean, it's, you know, they, they, didn't, they didn't feel he was worthy of keeping last time after he did a, you know, an, a, a sort of an average job. Um, and, and yet he's mm-hmm. the man who wasn't good enough is now suddenly the answer. And uh, I'm really not, I'm really yes. not convinced. Yeah, it does seem, uh, I, mean, it's, I mean, it's the ultimate sign that the club hasn't progressed in any way when you reappoint a manager you sacked not, not quite two years ago. Um, OK, that was, that was really interesting. Thank you very, thank you both very, very much. We're going to get on to um, not so quick fire, quick fire questions now. Um, and we're going to start, we'll start with Nick, actually. And we'll start with favourite current player for current squad. Uh, I, I found this uh, quite difficult. Uh, and I, I went onto the website and I, 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 you know, because there's been no football for so long, I reminded myself of the current squad. Yeah. Um, 
and I, and I <laughs> yeah. down for some inspiration. And you know, I said I I said I was a nostalgic person, and that I like um, the old-fashioned loyalty to football clubs. And I was just drawn mm-hmm. inevitably because of that to Mark Noble. Um, you know, he yeah. might not be the most dynamic footballer on the pitch, um, but if you look at his contribution um, to the club over the years and to, to games in general, you know, he's had he's had 433 games between the ages of 17 mm-hmm. and 33. Um, he's now, you know, a captain that fronts up on the pitch and with the media, not, not unhappy to tell mm-hmm. the truth, to, you know, to criticise the team collectively. Um, and you just look around at the rest and you just think, if you all had a bit more of that, uh, we'd be a better side. So um, there's my answer. Mm, yeah, I have to say, you do. I do sometimes look at Mark Noble in these um, post-match interviews and you just wonder what yeah. he makes of it all. Having been there that long and you just know some of the players that you've got in that current squad are not always giving it their all. And he must just pull his hair out. Because there is no denying Mark yeah. Noble loves West Ham and deeply cares about how they do. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm with you. You do wonder sometimes yeah. what he makes of it all. James, what, what, who's your um, favourite current player, if, if different? Uh, yeah, I was just about to agree with Nick, really, at the risk of sounding too similar. It's, it's also Mark Noble. No, that's fine. Um, again, I, I had a look at the team last night because there's been a lack of football recently. Uh, and, you know, there's not been one standout player for me in West Ham this season. Um, but in terms of longevity and consistency over his West Ham career, it has to go to Mark Noble as my favourite current player because... You know, as as Nick said, he's the only one to play with any real passion and fight for the team. He 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 goes out there no matter what and plays his heart on his sleeve. You know, and he, that's what the fans can connect to, and realise that he he looks around sometimes at the end of games where you know some players might not have put it, put everything in, and he just looks downtrodden. You know, and you just feel for him mm-hmm. because we're there. We're, we're experiencing the same thing. We want them to do well. Just if you you know gave it pushed a little bit, little bit more, you know, you might get insane gets out of the game um and it's just a shame when when the board also rolls him out i think it was after 2018 when uh, the the uh the board was you know the the sort of i won't call the riots because you know i won't allude to the west ham hooligan fans but um you know after the burnley game in 2018 and uh yeah there was coins and things thrown at golden uh sullivan and they rolled out Mark Noble just to say, you know, everyone calm down a bit because they know they'll listen to him because he's the he's Mr. Yeah. West Ham. And, you know, just feel a bit sorry for him at times. Um, but no, in terms of my favourite current players, it's got to go to Mark Noble. OK, and sticking with you then, James, um, similar question. Who is your favourite player ever? Favourite player ever. Now, this this is a tricky one because I obviously could have gone for ones, you know, prior to my generation of football but I decided to stick with yeah. ones that I well players that I've seen actually perform at Upton Park or London Stadium okay. and in terms of what they brought to the team they left rather controversially uh, you know under you know not in the best terms but for me it, it has to go to Dimitri Payet to be honest in terms of really in terms of, okay that's interesting in carry on players that I've actually seen live uh you know and watched at games 
because the season I think was before we went to the London Stadium, uh, mm-hmm. was in charge, and we finished seventh. But we could have done actually quite a lot better if we had if results had gone our way. And I remember going to Man United's ground, Old Trafford, uh, in the FA Cup, and he scored that great free kick um, against. Yeah, Bayer. I remember. And, you know, it just. He he just brought back that feeling of what it felt that felt like to be a West Ham fan. You know, he gave you that hope and promise that this is you know something to believe in. You know, it, it, at the end of the day, it's only a game of football, but for ninety minutes, you're there thinking, yeah, we can do this. You know, and no player since um, has really gave that uh, hope and inspiration to to football fans, or at least myself. Um, there's there's so many other players that I could have gone for, um, but just you know, in recent memory. Uh, he's obviously he left under uncertain terms with, uh, you know, going back to Marseille and sort of a lot, lot of suspicion about why he left the club. Um, mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it, that almost doesn't matter because what he had already done for the club is, in my eyes, much, much better than how he ever left. OK, just before we come to next, I think I think that, that is, to be honest, I don't think I was expecting that answer because... He's, his name has sort of been sullied with the way that um, with the way that he left. But I think that just sort of shows you love a maverick down at West Ham. You absolutely love a maverick. Obviously, we know about the cameo. Um, and I wonder if, if perhaps you're more forgiving than the average club of these players who perhaps have a bit of baggage with them, who are perhaps hard to manage because they are capable of the of the sublime um so so nick same question favorite player well, you'll be ever pleased to know that for the first time in this conversation we have some strong disagreement <laughs> so i have okay. to the urge to boo when uh, when james was giving his image <laughs> although he's, he's perfectly <laughs> uh, but um dimitri payer is everything i dislike about modern footballers um i'm not denying his talent um I've come up with someone who's the polar opposite. Um, I think somehow okay. this is slightly sacrilege, this answer, because whenever a West Ham fan is asked who their favourite player is, the answer should always be Bobby Moore. Um, but yeah, I decided, but... like James, to stick more in my era of you know the players that I spent a long time watching. I did, I did see a bit of Bobby Moore okay. at, the, at the end of his career at, at Upton Park. But it, it really wasn't very much. So I'm going for um, I'm going for sort of Mark Noble on steroids here with Billy Bonds. Okay, I th- do you know what? That would have been my guess for you. Um, so for I think our <laughs> the estimated demographic of this podcast is definitely people who won't have seen Billy Bonds play. So tell us a well, bit about Billy Bonds, him. Uh... Had a very very short spell. Um, local lad, humble upbringing. Um, played a little bit for Charlton Athletic before coming to uh, West Ham United. Um, he played mm-hmm. uh, um, in a combination of midfield and at centre half over his uh, West Ham career. Um, out of interest, his West Ham career spanned seven hundred and ninety nine appearances. Um, yeah, mm-hmm, I mean, which is crazy. Yeah, he's, he's, he's been there sixteen years and he's played four hundred and thirty-three games, and you're more or less talking about getting on for twice as many games here. Um, 
he retired mm-hmm. at 41, not because he wasn't any good anymore, but simply because he was 41 and wanted to go and do some other things. And, you know, he's just, mm-hmm. he was just one of those uncomplicated, uncompromising players. And you never had to worry for one minute whether he was giving his best. Um, and he was one of those people and captains who absolutely demanded that from everyone who played around him. Um, you know, and that kind of attitude is infectious and so, so valuable. And he was just wonderful. I mean, it, it, I had the privilege to do to go to a Q&A with him only about seven or eight months ago. And he, he's got the same hair. He okay. Weighs, he weighs what he played when he was playing. He looks like he could play, uh, even, though, even though he's 72. Mm-hmm. And um, he went on to manage the club for a brief period. And by, by his own opinion, yeah. it, it, it was all the qualities that he had as a player that made him an awful manager, really. Not an awful manager, but he just could not tolerate um, the attitude of other footballers at that time. And, uh, you know, he was, as a manager, trying mm-hmm. to get the best out of some young players. Um, and I think they just drove him bonkers. And there was such a bad fit between you know, what he expected and what he got back. And I think it was a very, very frustrating time for Billy to, to attempt to be a football manager in, you know, what then was a, a modern era. I mean, it would be a lot worse now, no doubt. Yeah. Um, but there we are. That's, that, that's, there's my answer. Billy Bonds, yes, please. Yeah. Uh, just, I'd just like to add, you know, Billy Bonds is a great Okay. Um, okay. And just to sort of, not to do the rest of West Ham fans a disservice and saying Dimitri Payet, but... You know, of course, there's the, the Holy Trinity of West Ham players, you know, Bobby Moore, Martin Peters and uh, Jeff Hurst, um, as well as, you know, countless other players that I could have chose. But, uh, Don't forget Trevor Brookin. Trevor Brookin, you know, Julian Dix, uh, who my mum actually met back in the Daily Star Gold Awards in about 1980-something. <laughs> but um, but no, I just I decided to choose him because of uh, who I've seen play. And that's, you know, Billy Bonds is a great answer there, Nick. No, no, no need to justify, James. That's why we're here. A little bit of debate. Um, okay, so I think, I think, ironically, this is a question that the two previous um, people we've had on the podcast have struggled to answer. I'm not sure you two are going to find it quite so difficult. And that is a player that you would get rid of from the current team if you had the chance. You want to go first, James? Oh, well, I mean, again, looking at this squad... I mean, do we count players on loan with Roberto allegedly coming back this month? Um... I, I do. <laughs> do you know what? No, we won't, because I think the answer would be Roberto. So It's, it's tough for me. Uh, I, for me, I'd have to get rid of um, Arthur Masuaku. Uh, he, he's not a left-back, and uh, to be honest, I don't know where his position is. Um, whenever he, he gets subbed on, I, I don't know where he's going to play. <laughs> Um, it was David Moyes two years ago who played him as a left <laughs> winger simply because he realised he couldn't play at left back. Uh, and because of injuries to that position with Aaron Cresswell and other players getting injured, he sometimes had to play as a back four or even as a back five, as a wing back. Um, but he just, his spatial awareness is next to none, I'm afraid. You know, watching that on the side of the pitch and yeah. you just see the counter-attack coming and he's still in the opposition's half and doesn't even attempt to make a run back, you know, as a, as a playing as a defender. 
um it's quite bizarre um and you know it's it's never a good sign when Moyes or any manager has to resort to bring on Arthur Masuaku when you're losing a game uh for that reason I'm gonna have to get rid of Arthur Masuaku Okay. Yeah. No good answer, Nick. Because I didn't realise I wouldn't be allowed Roberto. So uh, he's the only he's the only name I had down. I mean, uh, I can't. You, you'd struggle. I mean, okay. Technically, you know, he's still at the club. I know he's out on loan, but uh, heaven help us, unless something can be organised, yeah. he will come back. Um, and a, a Pellegrini signing. <laughs> um, and um, I, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen anyone have such a negative impact on a, on a team and on a season. Uh, you know, it was like you know we had one yeah. goalkeeper playing so well, and the team was riding high, and the goalkeeper gets injured, and I thought he would lose eight games in a row, or something like no that. Injury. And you know, he he's even punching the ball into his own goal. I mean, yeah. it's just it's just the what yeah. Does he have? And then you think, you know, this guy's supposedly playing at a high level in another country, and. Uh, and so, anyway, yeah. in the absence of uh, not being able to choose him, George, I'm, I'm just going to come up with uh, a name of... Uh, I've got Carlos Sanchez in my head. I think I've got his name right, have I? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Desperate, desperate. Yes, desperate yeah, I know he means. Got a bunch of injuries, get a body in, somebody who isn't going to get a game for anybody else and, you know, in and out the side, on and off the substitutes bench um, and just, you know, Looks like, just looks like a the most ordinary player we've got. So I'll go for that. Very. Okay. Yeah. To be fair, I apologise for saying you couldn't have Roberto because I'm glad Roberto <laughs> is getting podcast. some airtime on this podcast because I have to agree with you. <laughs> he is. And, and you, you know, people say, oh, he's the worst player I've ever seen all the time. That phrase is thrown about. I honestly believe he is the most incompetent player I've ever seen play in the Premier League. Because he's just not a good goalkeeper playing in what is supposed to be the best league in the world. It blew my mind those few games that he played because every time the ball went near him, you thought, oh, that's a goal. And often it was, which is just which is just phenomenal um, that this guy is making a living playing at the top level. I mean, he must be lovely. You can only assume He's a superb person behind the scenes. Because yes, yeah. Anyway, we could talk about Roberto. Roberto <laughs> should have up, a podcast I, of his I, own. I, just, I tell you, you know, epitomizes uh, what you know. Talk about modern footballers. He just doesn't seem to care any time he's in. He's, he was playing for us. You know, he just didn't care. And also, also, it also goes back to um, why who's scouting him? Who is who is going out there and signing Roberto to, as a backup goalkeeper for the Premier for a Premier League side when you know he couldn't his confidence during a match was so low, you know, what inspiration does he give to his defenders to actually seal out a game when he's punching the ball into his own net, you know? Um, who's scouting that? You know, there's really mm. something going wrong at the upper echelons at the club. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Okay, so the next one, and um, we're going to start with Nick, because I think Nick's got a um, an interesting answer for this one. And this is player... Um, either I think you wish you had signed or want to sign. Uh, Is that right? Well, I, I've taken a bit of a liberty here, George, and I've slightly changed your question because um, if there's lots okay, of Okay, that's that fine. I admire, and I, you know, it would have been lovely to see in a West Ham shirt, but 
if if people haven't come to West Ham, they've, they've either never had the opportunity or they didn't want to. And in each case, it's rather irrelevant. So, however, we have been specialists in signing very, very good players once they were past their best. So I've changed this into the player you wish you'd signed earlier. Uh, and I mean, I've okay. recently, I just jotted down some some names of absolute top class footballers that came to us on the way down rather than on the way up, um, such as uh, Liam Brady, Scott Parker, Teddy Sheringham, Nigel Winterburn, Freddie Lundberg. And if you gave me more time, I could I could come up with a lot more. Um, but the one that I haven't yet mentioned, yeah. probably the one that I sort of regret most, um, and that is Ian Wright. Uh, I think we all know uh, okay. Ian Wright's qualities as uh, an instinctive, uh, consistent, prolific goal scorer who just had that pace mm-hmm. and knack and desire and everything else. And, you know, he did he did come to West Ham at the end of his career and he played nicely and he scored a few goals. But um, his time at Crystal Palace and mostly at Arsenal would, would show you what a wonderful striker he was. So the player I wish we'd signed earlier. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I like that answer to the question. And equally, I'm going to change to James, obviously, who is, um, the, by his own admission, a younger generation of fan. And so who would you sign, James, yeah, I mean, in the coming window? It's a, it's a tough one because, of course, I'd love to go for a, or not a household name, but someone um, who, who is obviously going to go to a, to a bigger club, uh, as in a top four side. I'd love to see Jack Grealish, in a West Ham shirt, in the proper claret and blue, um, but yeah, okay, I don't think that's going to happen. We just don't have the money to afford that, and also he's probably going to end up at Man United or or Chelsea somewhere next season. Um, in terms of who else we'd mm-hmm. like to sign, we've we've been needing a striker. I think, uh, I again, none really pop into my head, but I was thinking a player like who would actually be. a realistically fit into the West Ham side would be Will Hughes uh, from, I think he's at Watford still at the minute. Um, in terms of a realistic sign, okay, okay, yeah, 100 million, Will Hughes, he, he's sort of Jack Wilshere, who's but consistently fit, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, yeah. Even then, if he was injured, <laughs> he'd still fit into the West Ham side, let's be honest. Um yeah, that, that's who I'd give it to if if we're talking about realistic signings here. Okay, that's a really interesting one. I, you know, you could have given me a hundred guesses, and I didn't think you'd have said that because I, I think I, Will Hughes has sort yeah, of gone I under the radar since he he's moved to the really, Premier League. Really promising player under I think Frank Lampard when he was there. Yeah, he was really promising. Um, correct if I'm wrong, uh, but you know, ever since. Yeah, I think it was a few yeah. years prior and to Frank, but yeah, no, I know what you mean. It is Watford, isn't it? Yeah, since going to Watford, he's sort of absolutely. You're right, dropping under the yeah, yeah, under the Watford, radar yeah. a bit. But I still think he's got a lot of potential there and a lot of promise. And I think with perhaps a bit more game time, that I don't know if he's not getting at Watford or he's just not settling in. Um, no, I think he he would be a good addition to the side, to be honest. Okay, 
Okay. Right. We're going to do one last question then, um, because I'm very interested to hear the answers, which I'm sure again will be different. And that is favourite match ever. So I think we'll start with you, James, um, and we'll end with Nick's answer. So James, what's your favourite match ever? There's there's been quite a few good times as a West Ham fan (laughs) watching matches. Um, So it was was kind of difficult to choose. Yeah. Mentions would be um, like runners up would be um, when we won the playoff final in 2012 uh, at Wembley. That was that was a particular, you know, worthy of a mention. But for mm-hmm. me, the, my favourite match ever in my lifetime um, has to be the Upton Park. And to bring it up again, I know, but uh, it is just it was just summed up the whole West Ham, you know, way of way of life, really. That whole day of, you know, the, the buzz around um, Green mm-hmm. Street and all up and down the, you know, uh, Barking Road was just full of West Ham fans and life and football culture. I mean, it was everyone was buzzing for the game. And, and you know, to, the fact that we were playing Man United, you know, one of the best teams ever, um, obviously not in, in recent years, but, you know, the, the point remains the same, that when, um, I think it was Winston Reid who got his head on it and won the game for us with 10 minutes yeah. to spare or something like that, the that that feeling of just pure emotion you can't beat that that's one of the best feelings in the world um and just to know that 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 was it after that mm. game, that you'd never ever see west ham um play at the play at the bowling ground again because i'm a big believer that the, the fans are the 12th man you see and you just don't get that same feeling at london stadium which is what i've already spoken about mm-hmm. before um but the whole place was rocking mm. and uh we actually stayed after the match and there was a there was a screen uh, like a hologram of Bobby Moore that come onto the pitch, and he locked up the lights and the and the stadium on the on the uh, on the screen, and it was very very emotional time for the fans of yeah. every generation, I think, because we understood what the the importance of that match and what the, the ground had done for West Ham, um, and. Mm. Yeah, I remember. There's that iconic image of um, the bubbles passing Slavon Bilic as he sort of has a tear in his eyes. A brilliant, whoever the photographer or the um, cameraman was, really caught a lovely little shot there. Um, Yeah, great answer. Okay. And and Nick, same question. I like James's answer for all the the reasons he said. Um, uh, I've gone back to my era uh, and I've gone back to the 1980 FA Cup final. Uh, I could I could equally have picked mm-hmm. either of the semi-finals because it went to a replay or the quarter-final. That that whole cup run was quite something. But uh, my my thoughts around the nineteen eighty cup final are it's at a time when Wembley Wembley was a very different stadium to the one it is now, um, and, and a better stadium in my opinion, a better football stadium. Um, some of the things that were different then mm-hmm. were that. In the FA Cup, you just played endless replays until you got through. Uh, I think um, in one year, Sheffield Wednesday and Arsenal played something like seven matches in the fourth or fifth round in, you know, in, in order to get through to the next round. Mm-hmm. And it was in an era where everybody wanted to win it and everybody put their best team out. Um, and it was, a, it was a very, very special trophy. And I think it's you know, fallen well down the list of things that the top sides want to win now. Um, and it was in the days when we had absolutely rounds for semi-finals. Um, 
usually Highbury and Villa Park. Um, and we mm-hmm. were we were playing a much fancied Arsenal side in in modern parlance. You know that year they finished fourth in the Premier League, although it wasn't called the Premier League. And we didn't and we didn't get relegated from the Championship, mm-hmm. which was the old Division Two. Um, and shortly after the final, Arsenal were going off to play uh, in the European Cup Winners' Cup final, having beaten Juventus in the semis. So they were a very, very good side and strongly fancied to win that game. And, uh, you know, as is so often the case in the FA Cup, it didn't happen. Uh, and I, I just have such fantastic mm-hmm. memories. I was 19 years old. I, I stood behind the goal. There's another difference. Uh, I stood behind the goal and I watched Billy mm-hmm. Bonds lead the team out and, and lift, the, lift the trophy. And funnily enough, we're in lockdown and I'm a bit bored. So I watched this whole game uh, about four or five weeks ago. And uh, the first thing you notice right. is that people are passing back to the goalkeeper. Um, you've got one substitute. So things were very different. And and in my, you know my my favourite player yeah. Billy Bonds absolutely ran the game, aged thirty three going on thirty four, um, and uh, he looked after mm-hmm. a young Paul Allen who was seventeen years old, um, and was at the time the youngest the youngest player to play in a in an FA Cup final, and one of the, one of the other mm-hmm. things that came back to me just watching it a few weeks ago was. Um, I'm not sure who remembers this, but we scored a relatively early goal and in the final three minutes, Paul Allen was absolutely through on goal um, and approaching, you know, going round the goalkeeper when the uh, Arsenal centre-half, Willie Young, literally took off from about five yards behind him and just took this massive sideways kick at both his legs in order to completely flatten him about one side <laughs> outside the box. And the referee just casually wandered over and wrote his name in the book, and we got on with the game. <laughs> Which, <laughs> it, you, it, honestly, go and look at that incident and that tackle and think of it in today's terms, and uh, it's just astonishing how, how things have yeah. changed. And um, I think that on that, if you if you watch, the referee ended that game about a minute and ten seconds early, uh, and I suspect that that incident was uh, very much on his mind. But uh, yeah, yeah. Yes. that's it for me, George. FA Cup final, nineteen eighty. Okay, great, great. Well, that, that two very very good answers. Obviously, I've not seen the um, 1980 Cup final, but I have seen the goal. And uh, my own dad is a West Ham fan and Trevor Brooking is his favourite player. So that sort of has cult status within our household. And similarly, I watched the um, final game at Upton Park, not at Upton Park like James, but on TV. And I did find myself cheering when um, Winston Reid scored that goal. So two very, very good choices. Well, guys, thank you both so much for coming on the podcast. Um, and we will end it there. So for the listeners, um, do get in, t- in, in touch we, on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook, Die Hearts and thank Glory you, Hunters. Uh, and thank you both very much. Bye-bye.